0: Horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. All right.
1: Thanks so much for joining us. This is gonna be a good show. Plenty of news and information to give you, and some top handicappers, and I'm, I've stated this from different eras. You know, uh, we 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 got the young guy who's a proven performer, uh, Matt Bernier, uh, who you could see prominently now on 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 DRF.com. He kind of you know worked his way in there. Uh, when, uh, you know, people got a chance to see him back in the day when the horse players was still on television. I love that show. And uh, he's just a great guy. He always gives us plenty of his time and his insights. Uh, and he's come up with some very good winners on this show. I'm holding his feet to the fire as well as Bob Railbird Roberts. Uh, you know, most people uh, know him as the uh, the writer for the the Cleveland Press, the, the News Herald in the main paper the cleveland plane dealer and uh he's covering the race for them this week and uh he worked for them for over 20 years a multiple award-winning writer but a heck of a guy and uh likes to spend his time in the vip room at the track so uh, he does uh, reach in his jeans and pull out his greens and bet his own money now you don't have to bet your own money, but we here at Winning Ponies are going to give you some money. Uh, just dial in uh, winningponies.com on your computer. Uh, it's uh, it's no charge to, just to, to sign up. It's a free contest. And so we're going to ask you for uh, uh, a win, place, show, and fourth. So you're getting points for the top four finishers, and the final time will be used as a tiebreaker. First place, we're going to mail you a check for 150 bucks, And then after that, uh, we, we're going to start giving you winning credits so you can buy your easy win forms for free. Uh, we'll go anywhere from 100 down to 20 through sixth place. And since they're going 12 furlongs, we're giving out 12 prizes. And uh, so the others are going to get the winningponies.com baseball cap. And the, the final time, closest to, was going to get one of our really nice Slimming T-shirts, and I say that because they're black. People will say, "Hey, John, you losing weight?" Well, I dress in my winning ponies T-shirt, and I keep my beard trimmed, so I just smile and nod. Anyhow, it's concerning the Easy Win forms uh, Another uh, uh, good uh, good week since we last spoke. Again, we go from coast to coast and, uh, you know, pick, uh, you know, get get your easy win forms, see what you're comfortable with, put it on top of the handicapping. We're going to do tonight and see what you come up with. Uh, but just a couple examples, you uh, charlestown might not be a track you play a whole lot but it's a niche track one dollar super box that we gave out paid two thousand two hundred twenty two dollars now let's go all the way out to the west coast at golden gate day later we came up with a 50 cent super five that paid 1,966 still racing at pimlico gave out a one dollar super five that paid over 1,600 and our friends at mountaineer park $1 $1 super key that paid 1900 You can go right over to the site at winningponies.com when you're signing up uh, and playing our contest, and you'll see all the recent winners. We update them uh, daily. Okay. Belmont Park, Saturday, June 9th, race 11. Attendance is limited. I haven't seen anything officially, but I'm going to guess it's sold out. I think the Smarty Jones year put them over the top, and they just said, we can't do this anymore. They ran out of food. People couldn't get to the bathroom. Uh, things were shut down, and it was just, it wasn't worth having, you know, 130,000 people. So they kind of came up with a cutoff date for parking and making sure you got a comfort zone. So I hope you got your uh, uh, tickets early. Uh, you can call and check and see if there's any left. But when a horse is going for the Triple Crown, it's big time. It's historic. Only 12 horses in the history of racing have done it. And, of course, Justify is going to try to repeat his old, shall I say, stablemate, another one out of the Bob Baffert barn, American Pharaoh, who became the first horse in, I believe, it was 27 years to uh, win the, uh, the the Triple Crown. So uh, it's going to be on NBC Sports. Uh, they're going to offer the coverage uh complete of the 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 belmont stakes you know the 150th running but uh belmont access starts everything off on friday because there's some good races for leading up to it uh from five to six on nbc sn and then on saturday nbc sn is going to start at two go to four and then it's going to move over to the big boy nbc uh from four to seven So again, post time for the test of the champion is scheduled for 646. Let's hope everything stays on time. I'm guessing by now you've already seen the draw. If not, I'll run it by you real quick. Justify was installed the four to five favorite and drew the inside post. Might not hurt him too much because just to the outside of him is free drop Billy. And then Bravazzo gave him a scare in the preakness. He'll break from the three hole. He's got tactical speed. He could be out there. We'll see what Dwayne Lucas tells Luis Saez to do. And then Hofberg. Horse I've always liked uh, since uh, his third race and get, getting on the board in the Florida Derby, Bill Mott trainee. He's installed at nine to two. He's going to break from the four all. Then we got some uh, double-digit horses restoring hopes at thirty to one. The mystery horse Gronkowski. I understand that uh, his namesake will be at the Belmont. So Gronkowski twelve to one right now. I guess some people are questioning. Yes, he's put in. Four sensational performances since getting the Blinkers has been undefeated since then, but who did he beat? And we don't know who's on the other side of the pond. And then Tenfold, a lot of people liking this horse coming from the Asmussen barn at 12-1. to 1. Vino Rosso has a local roots. Pletcher and Johnny V, 8-1. to 1. Uh, long shot Noble Indy, also a Windstar-owned uh, horse. Fletcher, 30 to 1, and then Blended Citizen, who proved he's not just a synthetic or turf horse. He's off at 15 to 1. He's trained by Doug O'Neill, who's had a few nice horses over the years. So, you know, the question is can he do it? Well, that'll be the big question I'm going to be asking uh, Bob Roberts and then Matt Bernier uh, during the show. But uh, people are saying that, you know, let's see. I read an interesting article by. Mike Watchmaker and other people have said, if you go look at his buyer figures, he took a big regression in the Preakness stakes. I'm going to ask Matt Bernier about that, but uh, it was the slowest since, I believe, Prairie Bayou, and that was like uh, 1981 or something like that. Um, uh, No, I'm sorry. I'm really dating myself. Uh, Previous low was 98, 1993 Prairie Bayou and he's five points lower than American Pharaoh in 2015. Uh, but of course, uh, remember the Preakness? Uh, you didn't see all of it, I guarantee you that, because it was about, for about a sixteenth of a mile, none of us could. Uh, so they're just saying that generating a truly reliable buyer figure might be impossible under those circumstances. Um, but uh, his, his Preakness buyer fell a staggering 21 points short of the best ever. Uh, published Preakness by Silver Charm in 97, and Smarty Jones in 2004. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if it was just uh, the, the conditions of the Belmont, or if he was in fact regressing, or if those horses really were about to catch him if the finish line was about 50 yards down the lane there at uh the Preakness Stakes. It'll be interesting to see how many years it does remain at Pimlico. We addressed that uh, uh, last week. So, uh, Audible, who was a big horse on the uh, three-year-old scene, uh, Florida Derby winner, uh, has been going to Kentucky for a physical exam. Uh, Pletcher said his training was just not a satisfaction. He didn't see any major industry in injury, but he wants him, you know, checked. Uh, so, he galloped just last Friday, so but basically he's just walked till then, and uh, it's just part of the reason he was taken out of training. So uh, they're going to point him as long as he's fine. They're going to get him back in training. Looking at the Jim Dandy, the Haskell uh, at on the 28th or the 29th. So uh, that's some of the news on the three-year-old season. Of course, Bolt Oro is going to take on his elders. In on the great card that we have for you uh, uh, from Belmont, of course, the acorn, uh, we got Monomoy girl is going to be in there. Just uh, just some sensational fields. Hopefully I can get through them all with Matt Bernier. Well, uh, we did have some uh, fun handicapping last week. And what a performance. The Beholder Mile. That was unbelievable. Now, don't forget, Unique Bella uh, suffered a rare loss in her return to racing in the Apple Blossom. But if you saw that, she broke flat-footed and then spotted the field uh, a couple of lengths and then just kind of dragged Mike Smith to the front. He's on the brake, She's trying to run. He finally gave her her head. But uh, it, it cost her through the lane. She ended up getting beat by unbridled Moe, who we'll see perform on Saturday and uh, unique bella uh finished second but uh you know what can i say she's just truly amazing her last eight races she's been at odds on so i think you could throw out that last one after what we saw in the beholder mile she was just unbelievable um it was a two-horse race uh, early on and uh all I could say is uh, she eventually put away the competition and uh, and pulled away impressively. The, the, the top two, it was uh, Paradise Woods and Unique Bella. It was just a match race early on. They were on top by actually 20 lengths at one point in the Beholder Mile. Again, Paradise Woods folded to third. Unique Bella went on. And getting up for the second spot with a late rally was the German-bred La Force. So Unique Bella. Bella back to her winning ways, and then uh, we had a couple races from Penn National. Big day for them. The uh, the, the Penn Mile uh, went to Hawkish, who scratched out of the race in New York to go there. Sent away at seventy seven to five, uh, got the job done. He was widest of all after being taken taken back early, uh, but and ended up uh, looking awful strong in the five hundred thousand dollar Penn Mile. Second spot, it was way early at twenty to one shot and in the third spot was Colt and Mississippi was also 20 to one for 50 cents your try brought you back seventy-nine fifty. that's not bad at all as far as profit margins are concerned and then in the race uh, previous to that was the Penn Oaks $200,000 the winner there got stormy slipped through on the turn and was game under Tyler Gafflione got up by a head at four to one over the way I who was part of an odds on entry from Graham Motion? And uh, uh, the, the way I am again had uh, Irad rad Ortiz in, just came flying, but too little, too late. And in the third spot, it was good things take time and Irish bread. And then up to our friends Woodbine, who sponsor Winning Ponies. It was the Connet Cup, the winner there. The Caribou Club, second week in a row that Gary Boulanger took the feature at Woodbine, got the job done over Tower of Texas, who won the Connaught Cup last year. Now, if you haven't seen this horse, you got to take your time to go north of the border and, and check it out. Uh, his name is Pink Lloyd. Of course, he was Canadian Horse of the Year last year. His lifetime record uh, coming into the achievement stakes, 15 starts, 13 wins well Pink Lloyd uh, you know came out of the gate the jack was fighting him and meanwhile uh, looking for purse money went to the lead and I'm, I'm just telling you Enrico da Silva was just trying to strangle him they finally just took over in the stretch and in the hand ride he was he was actually eased in the final of 16th has now won 11. Straight stakes races. I guess he's quite a head case, has to train by himself in the mornings. <laughs> he can't get near anybody who gets all wound up. All right, well, speaking of getting wound up, I'm wound up to uh, be on air with uh, this next guest, Bob Railbird Roberts. We're going to take a little bit of a break and we come back. We're going to take a look at some of those Belmont races and hear what the Railbird has to say. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. All right. And with me, a longtime friend uh, whose paths I have crossed many, many times, uh, sometimes in Kentucky, but mostly in Ohio. I told you uh, his resume earlier. Of course, he's known best as uh, Railbird Roberts. Uh, people would buy the Cleveland Plain dealer, throw everything away but the sports section and look at Railbird's cartoon that day, whether he had <laughs> won or lost in the, the, the previous day. I will say he was one of those public handicappers that was not afraid to show the results of his picks. A lot of guys just give them out and talk about their trifecta ticket, but Bob would keep a running back role, and that's a hard thing to do, being a public handicapper. So thanks for joining us, Bob Roberts. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing good. It's Belmont week, so life's good. What the heck, huh?
1: A- absolutely. You know, the, the the test of the champion, a lot of different angles to, to look at. Now, um, I know that you've been... Um, to, to several Belmonts, you were there. I think for a couple of heartbreakers, and you may have been there for an actual Triple Crown winner. Can you go back in time and kind of review your history with the Belmont?
3: Yeah, I covered, uh, I covered, I, I covered Secretariat's Derby, but they didn't send me to the Preakness in the Belmont. I did cover all three legs when Seattle Slew one and Affirmed the next year, and then uh, I think I went to seven straight, well not seven straight, but seven times I went there where the horse had won the first two and got beat in the third one. Wow. And then well, I even went back once as a fan, I went back as a fan after I left the plane dealer, California Chromes here, just as a fan, a rich friend of mine had his own jet, he flew us there, and we couldn't even get him in the winner's circle. So I had not seen the Triple Crown winner since uh, 78, and I wasn't there for American
1: Pharaoh. So, uh, wow. Well, uh, uh, now, you, you and you and I know uh, kind of an, an, can we say eccentric uh, gentleman, oh, highly successful um, in, in business, uh, part of the Knight Ritter News uh, Foundation. I believe his father was one of the founders, and his well, name is Landon Knight. Knight. Now, he was from. John the, Knight was his
3: dad. Dad had the Beacon Journal, the Miami Herald, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Detroit Free Press. All those newspapers, and uh, he and Landon got his love for racing from his father, who raced under the title of Fourth Estate Stable, which was and I remember
1: name though, for a the name His dad made him work his way up. He didn't he didn't spoon feed him his jobs. He had to work his way up in no. the paper.
3: No, Landon worked on the copy desk at the Detroit Free Press. I guess they all wanted to kill him because he, like you said, he's pretty eccentric. They, they want to probably push him down the elevator shaft. Landon <laughs> had polio when he was a child. So he got around with those aluminum canes for a long time, but as he got older and heavier, he ended up in the wheelchair. And the story goes, John, this is one of my favorite all-time stories. 1997, my phone rings in early June or late May, and it's Landon. He goes, "Uh, "Roberts," is how he talked. You know, no hello, just yelled out your name. He says, (laughs) "I want you to escort my wife to the Epsom Derby in England." I go, "What?" He says, "I'm running a horse in the Epsom Derby." And I can't go because of my situation. He says, you want you to go for me? I go, man, I'm going to get a free trip to England and go watch the Epsom Derby. He goes, when is it? And he gives me the date, June 7th or something. I go, no. It's the day Silver Charms going for the Triple Crown. I can't go. I have to go to New York and cover the Triple Crown. He goes, ah. So you got somebody else to do it. I'm sitting in the press box at Belmont Park like 12 o'clock to 1, refreshing my computer, refreshing my computer. And here it comes. Benny the Dip wins Epsom Derby by a head. Got He got hooked by some horse named Silver Patriarch, I think, and he held him off to win by a head. And then it hit me. If I would have went to the Epsom Derby, I'd have been in the winner's circle with Landon's wife, Cynthia, and I'd have met the queen. Because <laughs> she presents the trophy. I could have said, boy, your kids are driving you nuts, lady. And, you know, have you ever been to Thistledown for the Ohio Derby? But nope. Uh, so it sat in the press uh, box, and four hours later, Silver Charm gets beat. So what? What a rotten Saturday that was.
1: Oh, uh, <laughs> seriously, man, that's great. Well, I, I share a story with Landon on the same day. Uh, we were at the track, and somehow we were able to pull it down on some feed. And uh, so I called him up, and I go, I go, wow, Landon, congratulations, Benny the Dip, you just won the Epsom Derby. He says, you think that's good? Where do you see my horse in the fifth <laughs> at Belmont? <laughs> I'm that's like, what? Him. You just yeah. want a, you just you want a know, classic uh, race, and you, you yeah. tout me on Sun horse in the fifth and Belmont, you know? Those yeah. are the first yeah. words yeah. out that's of his turning mouth. Turning
3: the page, yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> called turning the page quickly. Yeah, now you I remember his so. friend Al Corrado. Al Corrado was an, another great Ohio breeder and owner, and they were they were like almost like brothers. And Al was in England on vacation or on business, and he looked for a racetrack to go to, and he went in the track, and Landon's got a horse in. And Landon never told it. Al had a horse, in, so Al runs to some payphone and calls Landon. He goes, "You got a horse in the uh, two forty-five here? What are we doing?" He goes, "Bet all you got." <laughs> <laughs> and they bet hundred pounds, two hundred pounds, and the horse won. So wow. I don't know who was lucky, Landon or Al Carrado. Here's the tell you what. This, if you got time, here's the best story. Landon Knight and Al Carrado will go to the Kentucky Derby every year. Now Landon, by that time, is in the wheelchair. The races are over. Traffic is—you know how bad the traffic is—but they got a Winnebago, and they're going to go drink for a couple hours before they even attempt to go come back to Ohio.
1: Oh and, yeah,
3: yeah. And one of—and one of the uh, friends of theirs—they got a lot of Hollywood-type friends. And one guy was an old writer from the I Love Lucy show. And they get to the van, and they're struggling to get to get that wheelchair into the Winnebago, and the guy who wrote for the. I Love Lucy show turns to Alan says, "Wouldn't it have been easier for us just to take land into lords?" <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of guys they were. <laughs> Unbelievable. All
1: and right, en- en- enough frivolity. But that was a good one. Uh, <laughs> this year, very intriguing. Um, you know, the word is there's a good chance for rain in New York. I think that that's going to bring a lot of betters out. Going, oh, this horse absolutely loves the slop. He's already won two legs in the Triple Crown. But I'm telling you mm-hmm. what, Justify is no shoe in. Do I want him to win the crown, the Triple Crown? Absolutely. Be great for the game. Yeah. Am I going to bet on yeah. him in the Belmont? No, I'm not. Um, well, I not really to win, think- no. I, I really I really think he, he's vulnerable in here. Um, I mean, again, we had that mysterious shrouded cloud at the, at the Preakness, and out he popped. And, uh, right. you know, of course, then uh, we saw Tenfold and bravazzo come flying like bats out of hell. Uh, but the whole thing was, as I mentioned earlier in the show, it was an interesting study that Mike Watchmaker did on how slow Mm. his final time was despite the off track uh that it was like the second slowest since prairie bayou um really Hmm. yeah yeah and uh he just talked about the horses that had moved forward to the belmont and what their speed figures look like and then horses that regressed and what theirs looked like it's sad to say he comes up on the regression side of it so He's training lights out. I've been watching the videos of him in the morning. It looks like he wants to chew the bit and spit it out and take off without the rider, you know. Uh, And, of course, Baffert's doing everything he did with him that he did with American Pharaoh. I mean, you know, know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, No, identical.
3: Identical training pattern. Right.
1: Yeah. So, anyhow… I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna sh- shut up and uh, listen to Bob no. Railbert Roberts. My producer just said we got four minutes. So in four minutes, Bob, break down <laughs> your ticket for the Belmont Stakes, the 150th running, mile and a half.
3: Well, I am going to uh, – I'm not going to bet that horse to win, but I'm going to bet exactus and and I can't leave them I'm out. I hate to have the horses finish one, two, and throw him out and have them struggle in third or – fade to be second or third, so he's in my box. Uh, I've never been a big... I've always thought that Lucas really asks his horses to do a whole lot, maybe sometimes too much, but it looks like this bravazo. he thrives on the work, and that was... Uh, he's really improved tremendously since he ran eighth in the Louisiana Derby. His Kentucky Derby wasn't bad. He closed well. He got a little bumping around at the start, and then uh, his precast was obviously fantastic, and if you believe in speed figures... His numbers keep getting better and better, and you said that it might be raining in New York. Well, he ran on an off-track at Pimlico. It may be a different kind of off-track. They may have rolled that track. At, at, uh, I know they rolled it pretty good in Louisville, so they were running on a on a wet track but a pretty firm track. And Pimlico probably wasn't as firm as Belmont because it wasn't probably rolled, and they had more rain in Baltimore than they did, obviously, in, in, in the Louisville. The horse I'm looking at, this guy's one of the best and strike trainers in the country, and that's Doug O'Neill. He is sending blended citizen for this Ooh. race, and he's the only guy in the race who has a horse with a prep race over the Belmont surface this year. He had sent him there May 12th, and he ran him into Peter Pan, and the horse put in a nice run, and he, and he, uh, he drew off to win by a length and a half. He closed well, so he looks like he looks like he could be the real deal to me. He ran in the Bluegrass, got these four lengths by Good Magic, but I like this horse, and I like I like when this guy ships. The horse has uh, been working awfully well. After that race, he stayed at Belmont. He worked a half a mile on uh, May 26th in 47 and two, fastest of 35 works at the distance. Came back June 2nd and worked 5 8 in a minute and three fifths. So this horse is on its toll. This jock was I think it's Kevin Fry. He's, he's sticking with this kid. The kid's ridden him the last four times, and he's won twice with him. So I'm throwing him in there, too. By the way, the Peter Pan used to be the big-time prep for the uh, Belmont Stakes. And, uh, yeah. I got lucky when you – the your Charism – yeah, remember? The your Charismatic uh, went for the Triple Crown. I picked I picked against him in the Plain Dealer, and I picked Lemon Drop Kid, Scotty Schulhofer horse, who got there and paid 61 bucks. So – May lightning strike twice again. This horse is fifteen to one in the morning line,
1: so yeah, who knows? Lest, so I'm going to box. Let's them. go ahead. Uh, lest we forget, uh, Coastal, uh, Danzig yeah. Connection, AP yeah. Indy, all use the Peter Pan as their launching pad. Tonalist did, right. you know. Yeah. Uh, I know Woody Stevens. That was his key race going into the Belmont.
3: Well, this is the only horse. I'm, 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 I'm giving it a quick look. This might be the only horse in the race who's run at Belmont Park. Look, looking at the PTs, he's the only horse of the ten who's ever run at Belmont Park. I think. Let's see. Yes. 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 yes.
1: No, you're yes. correct. You're, you are one. correct.
3: I... <laughs> there's, there's a horse based in California. He's the only horse in the in the Belmont Stakes to have run over who have run over the Belmont track. So, yeah, that that key could be the key horse for me. And Doug O'Neill, I've watched this guy. He sends horses up to Saratoga, knocks off these two-year-old steak races. For Paul, is it Paul Redham, is his main, one of his main guys? Uh-huh. He's tough. He's tough, and what? Well, he almost. What was that horse he had a few years ago in the Triple Crown? They scratched out of the Belmont. Remember, he won the first. My legs.
2: favorite quote
1: at a bar. I'll have another.
3: <laughs> there, there you go. So that's that's my exact trifecta box, and you know what? If Justify wants to. Uh, Back up a little bit and finish second or third—that's fine with me. But don't fall off the ticket because I'm only going to use those three horses.
1: What are you doing? Right. What are your three? Bob, I thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. I end, this, end up with my ribs hurting after I have you on the show, so <laughs> I'll have you back on soon. And uh, I don't know—I right, uh, I know I'm going to be going up. I got to do some work at the Ohio Derby. I, I might cross paths with you up there. But I thank you very much for being on the show, Bob Railbird Roberts. Up next, Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum. We're going to take a quick
0: break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you.
1: All right, and with us from the Daily Racing Forum, Matt Bernier. Boy, there's nothing better than getting an email back from Matt on a big racing day saying, Hey, Thursday's open. I'm in. It makes my day. Matt, how are you?
2: Doing very well, John. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, I have to ask you, you know, like I said, we've got to update your your bio here. But I I know that... uh, You know, originally, you were living in western Massachusetts and West Springfield, beautiful part of the country. Where do you call home now?
2: Actually, just recently uh, moved back up to Massachusetts. Uh, Early February, uh, I moved up to the Salem area. So I'm I'm North Shore in Massachusetts now. Moved uh, moved the tack back to New England.
1: Is that where they burned the witches?
2: It is, in fact. (laughs) We moved up here and, and... the amount of, of witch paraphernalia all throughout the town, 365 days a year, it's uh, it's the town's the town's thing, and, and understandably so. There are people that come from all over the world to come here and, and enjoy a little bit of October. So we've been prepped already by a bunch of uh, local folks saying that uh, the month of October is going to be a trip. Well, I
1: I have uh, I was recently surprised by a, a close friend of mine. I'm not going to say her name, but. Uh, she told me, she goes, yeah, I got a little bit of a witch in me. I said, what do you mean? She goes, yeah, I trace back to the Salem witch trials. One of her relatives or something. I'm like, oh, well, not nice to know <laughs> before we go we any were further. Back
2: from, we were walking back from dinner one night, and there's this church that has these two bright red windows in the front of it. And I looked, and I said, what is this all about? And my girlfriend said, that's the Salem Witch Museum. And I said, okay, well, good to know. At least it's not someone doing something bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to open
1: the door and see uh, anything going on. Someone cloaked in black. Well, well, that's interesting. And that is such a beautiful uh, part of the world. Uh, I used to visit Stockbridge often when when I was a young man and through college and you know ran into Norman Rockwell one time. I mean, there's n- nothing about the west side of Massachusetts that, that I don't like. Tanglewood and saw some great concerts, but I digress. I got Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum on the show, one of the top handicappers in the country, one of the big contest, contest players throughout his career, and he might be limited now because of his a profile on the daily racing form as to how he can play contests. But we've got some great races, but I don't want to go into the undercard, which is fantastic and has a lot of legendary races in it. So, right out of the box, Matt, let's get to the Belmont. As I just told Bob Railbird Roberts, do I want to see Justify win this race? Absolutely, I do. Do yeah, I have I mean, my it, it doubt? Good. Do I have my doubts when, you know, as far as betting the race, I'm thinking this is a golden opportunity, sad to say, to bet against them. I I understand it's like 50-50, it might rain, so if people see that the track's sloppy, they might load up even more. And it just seems, and I read a very interesting story by one of your compatriots, uh, Mike Watchmaker, this week about the the signs of regression and justifies uh, uh, Preakness.
2: You know, I'm I'm a little bit torn on do I think he's, starting to finally feel the effects of it, because that Preakness, that was the slowest race from a speed figure standpoint, from a buyer standpoint anyway, of his career. But at the same time, I, you know, it, it, oftentimes in races, the figure isn't necessarily indicative of the effort, because I feel like he did a lot of work in that Preakness, putting away good magic, and then he took a good wave, a good run from a couple different horses, a couple of them that he'll actually face on Saturday afternoon, Bravazo and Tenfold. I'm I'm torn on it. I kind of agree with you. It'd be great to see this horse go out there, especially considering, I mean, he didn't debut until February 18th. I understand like initially that was a talking point being into the derby and the curse of Apollo and all that. But I think now when you just kind of take a step back and consider the fact that we didn't, we hadn't seen this horse until nearly the middle of February and the fact that he's come as far as he has and accomplished as much as he has, I think that's just a testament to how talented he actually is. But from a gambling standpoint, this is the kind of race, individually, I'm not suggesting you throw him out and, and pick fours and pick fives and pick sixes. But sure. from an individual standpoint, how many instances throughout the year do you really truly get an opportunity to take a look at a 2-5 to five or 3-5 to five shot and say he's running for the sixth time in 16 weeks at a distance he's never gone. And you know what? I don't think it's going to be an issue. But if he for some reason doesn't get out of the blocks quick, he could easily get shuffled back there going into the first turn. And then at that point, all bets are off. I, I agree with you. I have to take a shot against him
1: well uh you know with that said and i mean i'll just tell you the horses i'm kind of interested in and obviously bravazo and tenfold because of their efforts uh in the last tenfold another very very lightly raced horse that was trying to break the uh, curse of apollo and ended up passing on the uh the derby and came back and put in a solid preakness but you know uh Bob Roberts talking about bravazo. Some people think, oh, man, this horse is over overraced. But <laughs> D. Wayne Lucas has this amazing magic touch. And uh, this horse is, has a good stalking style. Uh, he, obviously, if it does rain there in New York, he, he can handle it. But I would say m- m- my, my favorite of the upsetters is Hofburg. Uh, I love Bill Mott. And you've got to admit, from a breeding standpoint, Tappet's... Kind of like a mile and a half. Is it three of four of the last Belmont winners have been sons of Tappet?
2: Yeah, three out of four. The only one that wasn't happened to be American Pharoah, so I think we can excuse that one. Um, I agree with you. I think Hofberg is, to me anyway, if you look at it strictly from a talent standpoint in this field, the only horse to me that is of a comparable ability from a talent standpoint is Hofberg to justify and whether or not we find out on Saturday that is ready to take that next step forward, to me, if, you're, if we're looking at it from like a, a stock market standpoint, if I'm playing the long game, it's Hoffberg. Because to me, the pedigree is there. You brought up he's by Tappet. He's out of a touch-gold mare. It looks like distance is what he wants all along. And I, I'm surprised at the amount of people that – and maybe it's just the, the horse player and, and many folks in social media saying, oh, well, you know, what's he done to deserve the 9-2 the to two morning line and, and taking all the money that he will – I think he is the prime example of you need to don't look at what he has done. Look at what you think he could end up being. And I think in an instance like this, uh, Bill Mott does not put horses in spots. He doesn't think they belong. The fact that he put this horse into the Florida Derby off the heels of a maiden win, that speaks volumes to what he thinks of him. And he wheeled him back in the Derby. He didn't have a great trip in there. And then he comes back here. I think he's ready to go. To me, he and Vino Rosso are the two most likely upsetters. Uh, It doesn't mean I'm picking either one of them but I'll be using them in multi-race bets. I think they're 2A and 2B as far as likely upsetters behind Justify.
1: So uh, when you say I'm not picking either one of them, who is Matt Bernier picking, or do we have to wait until Saturday's show?
2: No, I'm, I'm going out on a, on a kind of a, a crazy limb over here. A horse that for the longest time I kind of had circled going back into early April for a horse that might be a Belmont Stakes kind of horse is the other Baffert. Uh, Restoring hope. He's not fast enough to win this race at face value. I mean, a career best 90 buyer, but I think again, this is a race too where the figure. I think you can take those a little bit of a grain of salt because this becomes this is a war of attrition. Twelve furlongs. None of these horses are ever going to go this far again. Very unlikely, anyway, unless they run in a race like the Brooklyn down the road. But this horse to me, he's just going to clip off quarter miles in 24 and two, 24 and three. He's not going to be anything brilliant but I think this is a stayer through and through. You see the pedigrees by Giant's Causeway, out of a tap at Mare. I know Baffert, had, had made, he was quoted saying something about him trying to be a rabbit for Justify. I, you know what? I've learned enough in the past from hearing trainers one way or the other take everything that comes out of their mouth with a grain of salt. Um, I think Restoring Hope's the kind of horse that I don't think he's going to get outrun. I think he's going to be relatively close. And if it turns into a staying contest... I think he has as good a chance, if not better, than anyone else in this field to see out the 12 furlongs. And really running style at Belmont for the Belmont Stakes is just its so so key for me when I go over this race. I don't want a deep closer. That's also my only other real concern with Hofburg is that I need him to be right. two or three lengths out of it as opposed to 15 or 20. And, and I think that's an instance where restoring hope. I think he sits just off Justify or whoever else, whether it's Noble, Indy, somebody else that goes out to the front. I think he sits just off. And, again, if it turns into a, a true war of attrition, I think he has as good a chance as anyone to see it out.
1: I don't know if anybody's looking at the DRFPPs right now, but <laughs> Restoring Hope is installed at 30-1. to Jock changed to Florent Jaru, who uh, has had some amazing days recently. Uh, Matt, the one thing I was waiting to see when he came into the Belmont was to see if they were going to take the blinkers off after the Derby. And I don't see that happening because most of his successful races and where he showed good tactical uh, you know, early speed, he did not have the blinkers on. And Baffert put him on for the derby, but is keeping him on.
2: Yeah, it's, and it's a little bit of a peculiar thing, too, because that was something that we all had an eye on. Or I certainly did anyway, because I had this horse on my radar. But I think a little bit had to do with the fact that I'm just drawing a line through the Pat Day miles just because it was a wet track, one turn, and he was very wide throughout. Those two runs prior without the blinkers, I think he relaxed a little bit better than he had with the blinkers on in those first two starts. But then again, I don't really want to hold the debut against him going six furlongs at low Sal. and he made a little bit of a run. And you know what? First time stretching out to two turns, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't know truly what this horse's ability is with or without the blinkers on. We know what he's capable of. A little bit more so without the blinkers, but with them on, I don't know that you've actually got an opportunity to see what he is capable of. Now, maybe he's going to completely bomb on, on Saturday afternoon, but I'd like to think that they're just going to be enough to keep him into the run early on. I know Bafford had said maybe he was a little bit keen with them on, but I don't know that that's a bad thing in here. I want him to be forward. Don't get totally outrun like you did in the Wood Memorial. Be within two lengths of the lead, and I'll take my chances.
1: All right, well, Matt, you are, uh, though you are are living in Western Massachusetts, you spend your time at the New York tracks, I've got to ask you, what's the uh, press box buzz on Gronkowski?
2: Well, you know, everything I've seen recently, anyway, you know, you hear people talk about it, the fact that he's come over here, now he's with Chad, that alone is going to depress the price. You see the name, Gronkowski, anybody that knows football, that's going to depress the price as well. I- He's such a tough call because based on the horses he's defeated over in Europe, I mean, he should be a rank outsider. But then you go and watch the way that he trains in the mornings, and there's video out there on the Internet that you can find. He looks good on the dirt track. It looks like he's a horse that's going to be able to handle the main track. And pedigree-wise, I don't really think that distance is going to be an issue for him. To me, it comes down to, again, we talk about it with value and betting and all that kind of stuff. Really, that's the name of the game. He's just a terrible underlay. Anything close to his morning line is 12-to-1, and I think he is going to be in that 10-or-12-to-1 range just because of Chad, because of Jose Ortiz, because of his name, and because he's sort of the the unknown in here. People do like to take chances with that. I think at the end of the day, he might be a good horse. I just think Saturday is a really difficult spot for him.
1: Yeah, now, again, we referred to the uh, blinkers aspect of restoring hope, and Gronkowski is just the opposite. Since he's added blinkers... He, he won his last four races. I mean, and again, you know, we talk about this race, uh, you know, it's three-year-olds packing 126. Some of them are picking up weight. This is one of the rare horses that's actually won with 136 and 131 pounds. And from what I understand is he makes a beautiful physical specimen. But I, like as you alluded to, I think he'll be overbet. And, uh, you know... You would think of some of the European horses that come over here and tried it, and maybe it's just best until they prove you different to leave them off your ticket.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's going to be a fascinating one, and if I'm playing the race as far as a try or a super is concerned, maybe I'm going to use him underneath, but that's probably going to be sort of a, a Saturday morning decision one way or the other, or at least see how the main track has been playing at Belmont on Saturday. But again, I, I really wouldn't be surprised. And I could say that for a number of these horses. I won't be surprised if some of them down the road turn into really nice horses. I just think Saturday is going to be a lot for, for many of them.
1: Well, uh, Matt, you are, are, are near where the race is going to be. I heard They're actually reporting on it in Kentucky and Cincinnati. They're saying, well, it looks like a 50% of chance of rain at the Belmont Stakes. What are you hearing?
2: Yeah, last I had seen, uh, earlier in the week, everything looks all hunky-dory, and then all of a sudden, the 50-50 shot of thunderstorms in the afternoon. Last I had seen, it's kind of throttled back down to about 30%. So uh, more likely than not, we will not have rain, but um, that 30% just kind of hanging out there. And again, something that you're probably just going to keep an eye on over the next couple days because we know how quickly the the weather can turn on us. I, I have to be honest, at this point, it would be fitting if we had a sloppy main track on belmont day so we have all three legs of them run out there in the slop but uh we'll wait and see it sounds like right now there's at least a chance but it it seems as though it's starting to dwindle a little bit as opposed to what it was earlier in the day and and yesterday
1: well uh matt bob Railbird roberts and i have a few years on you um how many belmonts have you have you seen and uh do you have any special recollections uh, of the belmont stakes
2: uh, the first Belmont I went to was when Orb ran, and he finished third behind Palace, Malice, and Oxbow. That was when we were filming the television show. Uh, so that was really kind of a—I I had really never been to a major event, with the exception of the Travers. I'd been to the Travers a number of times, but um, I had never been to Belmont before, period. So when I showed up there, that was really an experience. And then uh, the following year, I started working for the racing form. So I was there for California Chrome's failed bid at the Triple Crown, and I've been there for basically every Belmont until this year. I won't be there on Saturday, um, but it's it's really uh, an instance where, I mean, I was there for American Pharoah. I, I don't know if anything's going to be able to top that throughout my my entire career, just because it had been so long, and, and that day as well, I was, I was working with ESPN and doing Sports Center, so there was 15 different things going on, and it was just the, the atmosphere. I've, I've never felt anything like that, where you get into a building, if you've never been to Belmont Park... It looks like the Titanic. It's just an enormous structure. And I've never been, I've been to a bunch of sporting events where the, you know, the crowd goes crazy and you can feel the vibrations, whether you're at a, you're at an arena or you're at a ballpark. When you see a a structure as large as Belmont Park's grandstand and you can feel it shaking and you're on the third or fourth floor, that'll get your attention when there's 150,000 people out there. It was a day like, like, uh, unlike any other one. And I'm sure I'll never forget that for as long as I'm in the business. That's
1: great. Now, my my headphones cut out a little bit. Did you say you will or won't be there on Saturday?
2: I will not be. I will be, basically, I'm calling this DRF New England. I'll be holding down the fort from the office here at home and uh, be posting and updating DRF Live all throughout the day. Dan Elman and Mike Beer, they'll be down there handling the video aspects. uh, But I will be here at the desk, hopefully making some winning wagers throughout the day. Uh, Okay, well, uh,
1: Matt, uh, you... Obviously, uh, somebody that has to do as much reporting as you do has looked at the undercard, which is absolutely unbelievable. I, I, I couldn't have downloaded the entire undercard, but I, I want to address you know some of the races. One that intrigues me uh, very much is uh, the, the acorn stakes. I mean, you know, th- this is a race that uh, some amazing horses have won. As recently as you know, the Oaks winner, Abel Tasman, who we'll see on Saturday, and then the, the, the great champion, Ruffian, in 75, followed by the champion, Dearly Precious. I can go on and on and drop names like Sky Beauty, Inside Information. I mean, it's just unbelievable how many really nice uh, fillies have come out of this race. Uh, Manami Girl, and I might be screwing that name up again, um, looks like the one to beat at four to five, but I- I'm kind of interested in Caledonia Roan. I mean, she-, she was last year's uh, champ. Ralph Nix looks like he's really got her ratcheted up for this race. Uh, she's already shown that she likes the Belmont Strip. Uh, you know, is there is there an upsetter in here? Who do you like, Matt?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. That, that Monomoy girl, she she looks like she's the goods. I mean, the winner of the Kentucky Oaks, I guess the question becomes, you know, she had to really work and gut that one out over Wonder Godot. Did that take a little bit of, of starch out of her? Uh, I respect Caledonia Road. She won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies last year, and you see that that most recent race that now wears the two others. She had a little bit of an injury after the Breeders' Cup, and that forced her to miss the road to the Oaks. So that was nothing more than a starting-off point. This, to me, feels like it's been the goal all along, and you can see that bullet work the other day in 59 and change, best of 12 on May the 26th. I'm very interested in the horse down on the inside. That's number one moonshine memories for Simon Callahan. Uh, she was actually the 2-1 to favorite in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies I think circumstances got her beat as much as anything that day, where she was down on the inside in Del Mar all Breeders' Cup weekend. You did not want to be anywhere near the rail, and unfortunately that's where she was buried. Uh, She came back in the Angel's flight. I thought it was nothing more than a means to an end to get ready for an instance like this. At the one-turn mile, I think it's right between the eyes. And really, again, if you can can make an interesting sort of case to to excuse the last two races, you're left with a horse that started her career three for three, and she went off the favorite in a Breeders' Cup race. Uh, she might be. She might not be six to one, but I'll take her at four to one or better. I like Moonshine Memories.
1: All right, we're talking with Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum. Again, you'll be able to uh, watch and, and uh, listen to him Saturday on DRF.com. Uh, let's move on to another race with an amazing uh, group of deep, talented fields. Just name dropped Abel Tasman as the horse that won the Acorn last year. Uh, she is, uh, you know, just a, you know, fantastic. Mike Smith. God, he's so much on fire, uh, is currently the, the eight to five choice, Baffert-Barn, but uh, only made one start this year, was beaten in the La Troyanne, uh, but from what I understand, had some problem at the start. He's still hard to knock a horse that won $2 million. Meanwhile, you've got unbridled Mo. I know there was trouble in that race, but went on to impressively uh, beat Unique Bella in the Apple Blossom. And then American Gale, who I think her stumbling block, could be the distance.
2: Yeah, this race is fascinating for a number of reasons. Everyone should pay attention to live.drf.com tomorrow, not just Saturday, because this race, there's a lot of potential scratches and a lot of potential movement about horses that may or may not run, and it could change the, the complexion of this race from a pace standpoint entirely. Uh, if this field is the one that actually goes postward, you know, it's one of those things, I understand Abel Tasman, she was terrible in the La Troy and I don't really have a way of sugarcoating that. And it was such a disappointing effort for a horse that you know on her best day. I mean, she was only half-length behind Forever Unbridled to win the Breeders' Cup just as a three-year-old. So it was such a head-scratching effort from her down at Churchill. It sounds like if you believe the clocker reports coming out, and you get those over on DRF.com, she is working like gangbusters, like back to the old Abel Tasman. So she's probably going to come with one of her best efforts, and you know that she likes Belmont Park. I'm interested in the number four horse going out for Chad Brown, Pacific Wind. Um, I, she was a decent turf horse in Southern California when Peter Erton had her. Then she gets transferred over to Chad Brown here on the East Coast, and she's, she had to work a little bit in that ruffian most recently, and she beat one of my favorites, Highway Star, who may or may not go in this race as well. But I just feel like when you watch the replay of that Pacific wind at the end of the race, her ears were pricked. She was loving life. I think there's more here. You're going to have to get to the bottom of her if you're going to win a race like this on Saturday afternoon. But I feel like she might be in that sort of 3 to 1, 7 to 2 range. And if that's the case, to me, that, that's a pretty fair price. I'll take a shot with Pacific wind in the Ogden Fips.
1: All right. We, again, we got Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum with us. Another uh, race on the undercard. Should be very interesting, the one-mile metropolitan now it's called the run happy metropolitan mile um you've got uh, one of the most talented horses in tracing uh racing mind your biscuits uh coming out of a amazing win uh, in dubai again that race was in march 31st I, i'm the then you've got bolt the oro who a lot of people said maybe should have been the two-year-old champion last year so you got the three-year-old taking on older horses bolt's going to get a big weight break there not sure how much you weigh that into your handicapping folks but mind your biscuits matt is this horse better sprinting i mean i know that the new york fans are going to love this horse uh but i just wonder if uh, if a mile's a stretch for mind your biscuits
2: Yeah, he's. you can't argue the talent. Uh, I mean, what he did over in Dubai most recently over a speed-friendly racetrack to come from as far out of it as he did, that was remarkable. Probably the best best performance of the entire World Cup evening. I just, you know, I kind of agree with you. I think he's probably better a little bit shorter, maybe seven-eighths of a mile as opposed to a one-turn mile. I don't think he can't win. I think he's certainly a major player in here. But the interesting thing about this race, it depends on what you think of the pace scenario. I think it's going to be a fast pace. But having said that, I think there's going to be one horse by himself setting the fast pace. I'm going to go with B. Jersey. B. Jersey is in raging form right now for Steve Asmussen. He the highest last-out buyer in the field with a 104 when he just absolutely blitzed the field in the Steve, Steve Sexton mile down at Lone Star. Uh, the third-place finisher that day, Shotgun Cowboy, he came back to win next out with a 95 buyer in the Lone Star handicap. And, and really, ever since Asmussen's got a hold of this horse, he's done a heck of a lot wrong. When he gets out to the front, he doesn't stop. He just keeps going. And I think there are going to be some people that look at it and say, well, how does that Lone Star form translate over to New York? And He's going to be facing the best horses of his life. I think this horse is really talented. And, again, I think the pace is going to be honest, fast. But I think he might be by himself. And if that's the case, I'll say, come and catch me. Ricardo Santana doesn't get the credit he deserves. I think he's one of the best young riders we've got.
1: All right. Well, uh, I can't ask Matt to uh, give us his topic in the Woodford Reserve Manhattan because we're down to a minute left in the show. But what I can tell Matt is thank you very much for being on the show. Watch those witches in Salem. And for you folks, watch <laughs> Matt Bernier at DRF.com on Saturday. Uh, looking forward to seeing you. Thanks so much for
2: taking the time and being on the show again, Matt. Hey, pleasure, John. Whenever you want, let me know.
1: Okay, boy, I love when they say that because I've got their phone number. They're in trouble. All right, folks, well, don't forget, I want to thank Matt. want to thank uh, Railbird Roberts. want to remind you quickly that we are having a free contest on our site. Go to winningponies.com and, and sign up. First place, 150 bucks in your pocket for another day. So uh, best of luck to all of you uh, with, with your bets in the Belmont. Thanks to uh, Woodbine uh, for uh, – sponsoring us i want to thank uh, josh by gosh uh, my producer for keeping me in line and not letting me get over we got to go see you at the races
0: thanks for listening to winning ponies with john englehart we know the information from today's show will help you at the next post keep listening for more next thursday at 8 p.m eastern time 5 p.m pacific on the voice america sports network